Well, my name is Adam, and it's great to be with you today as we continue our journey through the book of Acts. If you have your, your Bible there in front of you, you can keep it open to Acts chapter 11. That's where we're going to spend our time today. By now, we're all very used to things going viral. Whether it is uh, videos going viral online, like the baby shark video. Now, if you don't have uh, small children, you might not have heard of this video, but it has 11 billion views on YouTube. That's a lot of kids sitting in front of a computer screen just hitting play over and over again. Or it might be a virus itself which goes viral, like COVID in the last few years, or like all kinds of different viruses this winter. There are all different kinds of things which go viral, which catch on quickly, which spread rapidly. And this is true for Christianity as well. Ever since Jesus' resurrection and his return to heaven, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, has gone viral. Now, I don't mean that it's annoying like the baby shark video or it's harmful like COVID. I mean that it's caught on quickly. It's spread rapidly. And this is what we find in the book of Acts. We see the early stages of this worldwide spread. The, the gospel going from Jerusalem, where it began, to the very ends of the earth. Now, what we've seen over the last few weeks is the conversion of a number of individuals, especially those who were outsiders. So if you remember back in chapter 8, we saw the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. Then in chapter 9, we saw the, the dramatic conversion of Saul, the religious terrorist. And then last week, in chapter 10, we saw the conversion of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, the Roman soldier. And the point of all these stories is that the gospel is for everybody. It's for the Ethiopian eunuch, it's for the religious terrorist, and it's for the Roman soldier. The good news of Jesus is good news for everyone. And today we see this theme continue. But we see the gospel not just impact an individual, but an entire city. And not just any city, but a Gentile city, a pagan city. And not just any Gentile city, but a large, significant Gentile city. I'm talking about the city of Antioch. Now, Antioch was about 500 kilometers north of Jerusalem, and it was one of the most important cities in the Roman Empire. It was a large city, actually the third largest city in the Roman Empire, behind Rome and Alexandria. It was a multicultural city. There was a melting pot of different cultures in Antioch. There were Jews, there were Persians, Indians, Chinese people, multicultural city. It was also a, apparently, beautiful city. It was often called Antioch the Beautiful. Apparently, there was this large boulevard that ran from north to south that had these colonnades on the side of it with fountains and trees. Apparently, it was quite stunning. Antioch was also a pagan city. It was well known for its debauchery. I could share with you some of those stories, but I thought it's perhaps best that I don't and leave you to research that. Now, in some ways, Antioch is not unlike our own city, Brisbane. 
Brisbane is the third largest city in the Australian Empire. Brisbane is a multicultural city. 26% of people living in Brisbane were born overseas. Brisbane is an increasingly secular city. The latest uh, census data revealed that 44% of people living in Brisbane identify as Christian, while 41% of people identify as no religion. And those numbers have been getting closer together in recent years. Brisbane also has some parts that are beautiful. I mean, we have our own beautiful boulevard, don't we? With colonnades on the side and trees, and I'm pretty sure there's a fountain somewhere in South Bank. I mean, if you have people visit you, where, where do you take them? South Bank. You walk through, oh, and these vines are just beautiful. Maybe we should call it, rename Brisbane, Brisbane the Beautiful. Now, Antioch, my point, Antioch was a city much like ours. And it was in this ancient city that the gospel took root and bore fruit. That the message about Jesus went viral. That a church was established and began to grow. In fact, I don't know if you noticed this, but three times in this short passage, Luke, the author of Acts, repeats this phrase, a great number of people. He uses it in verse 21. He says, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 24, A great number of people were brought to the Lord. Verse 26, Saul and Barnabas taught great numbers of people. Do you think that Luke is trying to tell us something? He wants us to know that in Antioch, the message went viral. The church was established, and it grew quickly. Now, the question is, why is this the case? What was their secret in Antioch? Did they have an amazing kids' ministry? A charismatic preacher? Great worship? Yes, someone laughed. Sorry, you don't have that here. I apologize. You wish. No, the reason for the growth in Antioch was simple. We read it in verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them. This was a church that God was blessing. And this means this is a church that we can learn from. I mean, if we want to be a church that God blesses, that God uses in significant ways, we can and we should learn from the church at Antioch. In fact, I think this church gives us a picture of a healthy, growing, thriving church. In fact, I, see, I think if we look closely at this passage, we see five characteristics emerge of a healthy, growing, thriving church. That's what we're going to look at today. Now, maybe you're here and you, you've walked in through these doors and maybe you're thinking right now, well, that's great, that's wonderful, but how does talking about the church help me in the trenches of my life? How does it help me with my health challenges? with my wayward child, with the financial strain that I'm under? How does talking about the church help me with the difficulties of life? I would say this to you. If you're a believer in Jesus, God has ordained the church to be the place where you receive much of what he wants to give you. God has ordained the church to be the place where you receive much of what he wants to give you encouragement, nourishment, accountability, instruction, guidance, love, support, and, and so on. 
these things God will give you through belonging to a, a, a body of believers. And so if we want to be the people that God has called us to be, if we want to be the Christians that God has called us to be, if we want to be healthy, growing, thriving people, then we need our churches to be healthy, growing, thriving places. And so today we're going to look at five characteristics of what that might look like. The first, if you're taking notes, is this. A healthy church is gospel-focused. Now, the question is, how did these believers end up in Antioch? Why did they go to this Greek city? Well, if you remember back in chapter 8, there was persecution that broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Believers were being dragged from their homes, thrown into prison, and this forced the believers to scatter all over the countryside. Well, Luke now tells us that some of these believers went as far as Phoenicia, modern-day Lebanon, Cyprus, which is an island off the coast of the, in the Mediterranean Sea, still called Cyprus to this day, and they went to Antioch. Now, what did these believers do when they arrived in Antioch? What was kind of their focus? Did they start to focus on, you know, keeping their heads down? They've just been scattered from their home church. They focus on renovating their homes, building their businesses. Well, maybe they did those things. They probably did. But we're told here in verse 19 what was the main thing that they did. Look at the end there. Spreading the word. Now, first, they did it only among the Jews because this is what they were used to. But then Luke tells us in verse 20, they began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And so as these believers spread to Antioch, they also spread the word. They also spoke about Jesus. They shared the gospel. They were focused on the good news about Jesus. The message that Jesus has come from heaven to earth, that Jesus has died for our sins, that Jesus has risen again to rule, and that Jesus is coming again to judge. This is the, the message that was on their lips. This was the focus of their lives. And it was conspicuous. In fact, there's an interesting comment in verse 26. Luke tells us the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And so if you want to know if you're a believer in Jesus, why you're called a Christian today, well, you have the people from Antioch to thank it seems that these locals in Antioch came up with this label for the believers. I mean, Jesus never used it. The early church hadn't used it up to this point. It seems like the locals came up with this label for the believers. Now, the word Christian is the Greek word Christianos, and it simply means to follow Christ, to belong to Christ. It seems like these locals in Antioch, they looked at these believers and they said, well, they're the people that are always on about Christ. They're the ones that won't stop talking about Christ. They're the Christ people. They're the Christians. In other words, it was obvious to these outsiders what these people were all about. They were all about Jesus. Their focus was on Jesus and his message. And friends, our focus must be the same. We too must have our focus on Jesus, the good news of his life, death, and resurrection. And the reason I point this out is because there are so many things 
around us, which will threaten to distract us or to derail us. So, for example, let me give you perhaps what I think is one of the, the bigger issues in our day, that, that as a church, that we, not us personally, but the church globally might be facing. We live in a day and age which is highly polarized along political lines. And this means the temptation we might face is to focus on politics, to, to be forced to, to pick a political side. But that would be a mistake. It's not that political views don't matter. It's not that we shouldn't be engaged in politics and participate in politics and care about politics. But as believers in the Lord Jesus, we're citizens of a different kingdom. We're subjects of a different king and our focus should be on him. You know, this week I heard a pastor say something uh, which, to be honest, stopped me in my tracks. And, and it deeply resonated with me. I want to share it with you. He said, there are, there are a lot of ways to fail as a church. Maybe when we think of failure, we think of an empty building, lights off, doors locked. And maybe, depending on the story, that is a kind of failure. But there's also a kind of failure where a church fails by succeeding at what doesn't matter. There's a kind of failure where the place is packed with people, but empty of the presence of God. There's a kind of failure where the budget is growing, but the lives are diminishing. There's a kind of failure where the place looks a lot like success, but the people look nothing like Jesus. Now, everything in me wants to fight against that, which is why everything in me wants us to keep our focus on Christ and His gospel. Because a healthy church is gospel-focused. But that's not all. Because what we see next in Antioch is that a healthy church is also outward-looking. Now, I feel like I've said this a few times already in this series, but this is a significant moment in the book of Acts. It's an exciting development for the Christian church because the gospel has arrived in a significant pagan city. So far in the story, when the early Christians shared the gospel, they shared it with people who already believed the Bible. They shared it with people who were familiar with the Scriptures. So they took it to Jews. They took it to Samaritans, who were half-Jews. Even the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember when Philip came up to the, the carriage, he was reading from the book of Isaiah. Even Cornelius last week, we were told that he was God-fearing and devout, that he gave generously and prayed regularly. All of these people were familiar with the Scriptures. All of them had some knowledge of God. But now, for the first time in history, we read this in verse 20. Some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks. Now, these Greeks are not Jews, they're not God-fearers, they're, they're polytheists, they're pagans. They probably heard about Judaism, they might have had some Jewish friends, but they don't believe the Scriptures. They don't believe in the God of the Scriptures, and they certainly know nothing about Jesus until now. These believers share with them about Jesus, and many of them become Christians. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And so these believers, they go to Antioch with the message of Jesus on their lips and with their arms open to outsiders. 
And this actually leads to an incredibly diverse church community. We're given a glimpse into the leadership team of the church at Antioch a little bit later in chapter 13. I won't read it out, but just uh, look on the screen. That's the, the leadership team at Antioch. You see there, you've got Barnabas. Now, we'll meet him in just a moment. He was a Jew from Cyprus, that island nation. Then you've got Simeon called Niger. Now, the word Niger means black. Simeon was a black African. Then there is Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene's in North Africa, modern-day Libya. Uh, Lucius would be what we know as Arabic. Manaean, we don't know much about, except that he kind of was brought up with Herod, which means he was from kind of the upper crust of society. And then you've got Saul, who we know a fair bit about. He was a Jew, he was a, a religious leader, he was a gifted academic. And that's the leadership team at Antioch, which presumably reflected the church itself. It was a multinational, multi-ethnic, multi-class church. It was diverse because it was outward looking. And, and this is always what healthy churches will strive to be, because Jesus is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Now, now, what does this mean for us? Well, very simply, it means that we will welcome outsiders. Whether that's outsiders culturally or socially or ethnically, anyone from any background is welcome to worship Jesus with us at Oasis. You don't have to look a certain way or dress a certain way. Just clothes would be preferable. Good. Just have that as the base standard. You don't have to have a certain skin color or ethnicity. You don't have to be Dutch or South African or Australian or English or Kiwis. You see, we've got lots of people. Wonderful. <laughs> we, even, we even accept English people. <laughs> I love our Pommy friends. Anyone from any background is welcome to worship Jesus with us at Oasis. After all, this is how we will spend eternity. Here's the vision of the future that we're given in chapter 7 of Revelation. John has this vision of the future. And he says, There before me was a great multitude, a great number of people, that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now, if that's our future, then the church today should be a foretaste of that. Because Jesus is for everyone. And so a healthy church will be focused on the gospel. A healthy church will be outward looking. And what we see thirdly is that a healthy church will be better together. You know, the church in Jerusalem, which is kind of like the mothership, kind of like home base, they hear what's happening with those ruffians in Antioch. They hear that Greeks are becoming Christians. And so they send someone to check it out. But they don't send an apostle, they send a man named Barnabas. Now we've already met Barnabas in the book of Acts. We met him in chapter 4 and we discovered there that he was a godly, big-hearted man. He was generous. He sold a piece of property and then gave the proceeds to the church. Anyone has any proclivity to do that, come and talk to me after the service. He was also an encourager. 
You know, his name originally was Joseph, but apparently the apostles called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Apparently he was such an encourager that they gave him this nickname. That's a pretty great nickname to have. I've had some nicknames in my time, but never son of encouragement. He was generous, he was an encourager, he was also a peacemaker, a reconciler. Did you know that it was Barnabas that came alongside Saul when he returned to Jerusalem? You know, Saul, the persecutor of the church, the one who wanted to destroy the church, converted on the Damascus Road, becomes a Christian, comes back to Jerusalem, and understandably, not everyone's convinced. You know, I've heard about you, Saul, I know you, Saul, I'm not so sure about letting you into our fellowship. And Barnabas comes alongside him and says, no, 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 he's genuine. You can trust him. He's generous. He's an encourager. He's a peacemaker. In other words, he's the perfect man to go to Antioch. The apostles knew that this young church would be in need of encouragement. They knew that this diverse church would need someone that could bring them together. And so they send Barnabas. We read in verse 23, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done. Now, let me stop there because that phrase is amazing. What the grace of God had done. It reminds us that the grace of God is not something dormant and lifeless. It's not just an intellectual concept for us to discuss and to pontificate upon. The grace of God is a power which changes cities and changes lives. I look around this room and I I can be glad at what the grace of God has done. I I think about it this way. the, The grace of God is a little bit like setting a bomb off. But this bomb doesn't destroy and it doesn't kill. This bomb reorders and renews and refreshes. It brings life and healing and hope. And you see, the bomb of God's grace has been detonated in Antioch and it's changing lives. And Barnabas arrives in town and he sees this and we read at the end of verse 23, he was glad. And what did he do? Well, he did what Barnabas does and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. His message was this, don't quit. Don't give up. You've made the right choice. Life will get hard. Church will get complicated. But stay faithful to Jesus. Keep going. You know, I've uh, gone on a little bit of a Mount Everest kick lately. I've uh, read a few books of people that have kind of climbed the world's tallest mountain. And I kind of thought before I read these books, you know, maybe I'd be interested in in doing that one day. Yeah, no, not at all. (laughs) Maybe maybe one day I'll get to base camp and that'd be kind of cool, but that's about it. You see, the truth is, if you're an average Joe like me, you can't do it on your own. You need a whole team of people to help you up that mountain. You need someone to plan the trip. You need Sherpas to lug your gear and your food up the mountain for you. And you need a guide alongside you to encourage you and to help you. You need someone to say, yeah, go this way, don't go that way. That's it, keep it going. We're not far now, just up over here. You need someone to encourage you along the way. And friends, this is true in the journey of faith as well. We need people to encourage us, to motivate us, to spur us on. In fact, I heard someone say once, how can you tell if someone needs encouragement? You know the answer? They're breathing. We all need encouragement. The only way that we're going to make it all the way to the end is if we do it together. And this is why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, 
says to believers, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to meet together to encourage one another. I mean, just you being here is an encouragement to my faith. We need each other. Now, now you might think, come on, it's not that big of a deal, really. I mean, I don't really need to be present on a Sunday. I, I don't really need believers in my life through the week who can pray for me and share with me. I can kind of get what I need from church online. I, I can sing the songs, I can hear the sermon, and I can do it in my pajamas, with a coffee, on the couch, or even in bed. Now, I'm not saying any of this to make people watching you know, online guilty, but the fact is, Church Online is a great blessing. If you're sick and unable to be here, if you're out of town for whatever reason, it's a, it's a great blessing in a number of situations. But for those of us that are able to be here, if we mainly engage online, what are we missing out on? What are we giving up if we give up meeting together? Well, for starters, I think you, you just think less about your fellow members. They don't come to mind because you don't see them. I mean, one of the strangest things when we were in total lockdown, when I was, you know, watching church online, whenever that was, 2020, it was, church would be over and I'd have to talk to my kids. So you don't bump into others, which means you don't have the quick conversation that turns into the longer conversation. And beyond that, if you're mainly engaging online, you're removing yourself from the path of encouragement. You're removing yourself from the arena of accountability. And you're failing to offer that to others. It's a little bit like, you're like the log on the fire that's taken out. Not only is the fire diminished, but that log will eventually go out. How can you encourage others here at Oasis? How can you spur others on to remain faithful to Jesus? Well, I think firstly and fundamentally, and it sounds simple, but it's so important, show up. And show up as often as you can. Be present and be ready to encourage others. In fact, maybe when you're driving down to church, you want to pray and you want to ask God, Lord, who can I encourage today? Who can I pray for? Who can I come alongside? And, and then when you're here, have your eyes open and your ears open to do just that. To say to someone, you know, I, I noticed this about you and I'm, I'm just so thankful for that. I appreciate this about you. Can I pray for you? And, and maybe don't even just say, I'll pray for you this week. Maybe just say, hey, can I pray for you right now? Imagine if we all showed up with that kind of attitude. Imagine the kind of compelling culture that we might create. Because a healthy church is focused on Jesus and the gospel. A healthy church is outward looking. A healthy church is better together. And fourthly, a healthy church is biblically grounded. You know, after Barnabas arrived in Antioch and he, he looked around at what the grace of God had done, he saw all these different people from different backgrounds that had come together, he was glad. But he also realized that they needed something. They needed what every church in every age has needed. They needed what every Christian needs. They needed sound instruction from the Word of God. They needed faithful teaching from God's Word. 
Now, who was going to do this in Antioch? Because remember, this was a, a young church, a diverse church with lots of new converts, not familiar with the Bible. Barnabas probably thought, well, I can do it, but, but I'm going to need some help. And so who does he think of to help him? Saul. Now, why Saul? Well, firstly, Saul was Jewish. He knew the Old Testament scriptures inside out. Saul was also a Greek Jew. He spoke the Greek language. He knew the Greek culture. And he was a Roman citizen, which is important in a big city in the Roman Empire. So Saul was the perfect man for ministry in Antioch. So Barnabas makes the 160-kilometer journey to Saul's hometown in Tarsus. He grabs him, he gets him, they go back to Antioch. And we read in verse 26, For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. They taught people. If a church is going to be healthy, it needs instruction in God's Word. Now, this obviously involves the Sunday sermon, but it also goes beyond the Sunday sermon. It involves Bible study groups through the week, growth groups, Bible study fellowship, and so forth. It, it might involve one-to-one -one relationships, where, where you meet with someone and study the Bible together, pray together. It might involve reading good books. This is why we regularly recommend good books, and we have the bookstore occasionally, and those kinds of things listening to good podcasts, I mean, whatever the means may be, the principle is clear. The Spirit of God grows the church of God through the Word of God. A healthy church, a healthy church is grounded in God's Word. And this leads us to the fifth and final characteristic of a healthy church. It's gospel-focused, outward-looking, better together, biblically grounded, and finally, servant-hearted. You know, there's this really interesting story at the end of this passage which shows us the generosity and the compassion of the church in Antioch. It shows us that the Word of God was doing its work in their lives and it was flowing out of them. See, there's this group of prophets which goes from, who go from Jerusalem to Antioch. And we read in verse 28, one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. Now, historians agree there were a number of famines which happened during the reign of Claudius, but the point here is not really the details of the famine, the point is the response of the church. Because what you see is immediately the church in Antioch, when they hear about this famine that is coming, they decide to send money to the believers in Judea. Now, we're not told if the believers in Judea were particularly poor, if they were particularly struggling. The focus here is on the response of the church in Antioch, their overflowing generosity, their desire to serve others, to meet the needs of their brothers and sisters, those whom they had never even met. You see, the famine could have easily come to Antioch as well. I mean, th those church members, members in Antioch could have said, we need to look out for our own needs. But they trusted God. And they gave to their brothers and sisters. And, and we too are called to show and to exercise the same generosity, the same servant-heartedness. This is why we're supporting Bapalal today. He's a, a brother in Christ with a need, and we have the means to help him. So we're getting some money together to send over to him. This is why we highlight a number of needs through the life of our church. Because as we've seen today, a healthy church is gospel-focused. It's focused on Jesus. It's outward-looking, it's better together, it's biblically grounded, and it's servant-hearted. I don't know about you, but this is what I want for our church. 
This is a, a vision that I want to be part of pursuing. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed this, but these five characteristics that we've kind of looked at today, they're actually our five values as a church. If you were to open up our vision booklet, and I've seen some of you smirking at me, so you've already got it, but if you were to open up our vision booklet, you'll see that our five values as a church are biblically grounded, gospel-focused, servant-hearted, outward-looking, and better together. See, as I studied this passage, I could see these themes emerging. And it's encouraging to me to know that what we want to be, who we want to be as a church and what we want to do is reflected in God's vision for the church. And this is something that we're all to pursue together. Whether you have a a title or not, whether you've been here 20 years or, or two weeks, this is something that everyone has a role to play so that we might become a healthy, growing, thriving church where more people can find life in Jesus. God did a powerful work in the city of Antioch. And that same God can do a powerful work in the city of Brisbane. Let's pray for that right now. Father, thank you so much for your grace to us. That when you save us, you don't leave us on our own, but you bring us in and you make us part of your people. And Lord, we ask that by your spirit, you would empower us to be a church that is focused on Jesus, that is looking out to others, that is united and better together, that is grounded in your word, and that is servant-hearted and generous. Lord, by your spirit, change us, transform us, help us to see this vision become reality so that we might see more people find life in Jesus for the glory of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.